I'm Al Filreis, and this is Poem Talk at the Writer's House, where I have the pleasure of convening three friends in the world of contemporary poetry and poetics to collaborate on a close but not too close reading of a poem. We'll talk, maybe even disagree a bit, and perhaps open up the verse to a few new possibilities. And we hope gain for a poem that interests us, some new readers and listeners. And I say listeners because Poem Talk poems are available in recordings made by the poets themselves as part of our Penn Sound Archive writing edu slash pensound. Today, I'm joined here in Philadelphia at the Kelly Writers House in our shiny new Wexler studio by Titi Jaji, whose interests include global black literatures, cinema and music, African and Caribbean expressive cultures, the African diaspora, who's published the book Africa in Stereo, Modernism, Music and Pan-African Solidarity, and is at work on another book about refiguring the American frontier myth in global black imaginaries, and whose book of poems called Carnival was included in a box set of chapbooks titled Seven New Generation African Poets. And by Herman Beaver, scholar, critic, teacher, and poet whose most recent poems have appeared in Milas, the Langston Hughes Colloquy, and Versadelphia, whose pen sound page I highly recommend for remarkable performances of his poems, who teaches, among other things, of course, on the literatures of jazz, both undergrad and graduate chair of Africana Studies here at Penn. Is that still the case, Herm? That's still the oh, case. You are, you are really doing it. Whose new book manuscript is titled to put things in order, geography and the political imaginary in Toni Morrison's fiction. Did I get that title right? You did. And who is, I'm pleased to say, a longtime friend of the Writer's House and indeed a member of our advisory board. And by William J. Harris, who taught African-American literature, jazz studies, and creative writing for many years at the University of Kansas, author of The Poetry and Poetics of Amiri Baraka, The Jazz Aesthetic, and Uptown Conversation, The New Jazz Studies, and Every Goodbye Ain't Gone, an anthology of innovative poetry by African-Americans, and books of poems, including Hey Fellow, Would You Mind Holding This Piano a Moment, and In My Own Dark Way. Thanks to all three of you for joining us today. Billy Joe, all the way from Brooklyn. It's terrific to have you here. Welcome. Good to be here. And your first time in the writer's house? The first time. Great. Welcome. And Herm, good to see you as always, my always friend. Always a pleasure, Al. And Cece, thanks Girl for skipping down company. the lane. It's great. So we're here today to talk about a poem by Nathaniel Mackey called Day After Day of the Dead. The poem appears about a third of the way through Mackey's book, Nod House, published by New Directions in 2011. As is typical, especially in recent years, Mackey's book includes poems that are individually new installments of one of two ongoing serial poems, one called Mu, M-U, and another called Song of the Andumbulu, our poem is the 48th part of the Moo series, and it follows immediately after the 68th song of the Andumbulu. Our recording of Day After Day of the Dead comes from a close listening show hosted by Charles Bernstein here at the Kelly Writers House in February 2011, some six months before Knot House was published. So here now is Nathaniel Mackey reading Day After Day of the Dead. While we're alive, we kept repeating. Tongues, throats, roofs of our mouths, bone dry. Skeletons we'd someday be. Panicky masks we wore for effect, more than effect. More real than we'd admit. No longer wanting to know what soul was. Happy to see shadow, no touch. Happy to have sun at our backs, way led by shadow. Happy to have bodies, 
block light. Afternoon sun lighting leaf, glint of glass, no matter what, about to be out of body, it seemed. Soon to be shadowless, we thought, said we thought, not to be off guard, caught out. Gray morning we meant to be done with, requiem so sweet we forgot what it lamented, teeth turning to sugar, we grinned. Day after day of the dead we were desperate, dark what the night before we saw lit, bones we'd eventually be. At day's end a new tally, but there it was, barely begun, rocked the clock tower let go of, iridescent headstone, moments rebuff. Soul we saw, said we saw, invisible imprint. No one wanted to know what soul was. Day after day of the dead we were deaf, numb to what the night before we said moved us, fey lights coded locale. I fell away, we momentarily gone, deaf but to brass's obsequy, low brass's croon begun. I fell away, not fast, floated, Momentary mention and accord with the wind. Day after day of the dead, the same as day before day of the dead. No surprise, I fell away, muttering. Knew no one would hear, not even me. We wore capes under which we were in sweaters out at the elbow. Arms on the table, we chewed our spoons. Mouthing the blues, moaned an abstract truth, kept eating. The dead's morning after buffet, someone said it was. Feast of the unfed, said someone else. What were we doing there? The exegete kept asking. Adamant, uninvited, morose. Elbows in the air like wings, we kept eating. Rolled our eyes, kept shoveling it in. Day after day of the dead, we were them. We ate inexhaustibly, ate what wasn't there. Dead, no longer dying of thirst, hung over, turned our noses up to what was. It was me, we were it, insensate. Sugared sweat, what, what we drank tasted like. Even so, the tips of our tongues tasted nothing, we sipped without wincing. We ate cakes, we ate fingernail soup, a new kind of gazpacho, no one willing to say what soul was. Knuckle-bone souffle we ate, we ate gristle. Eyes we took from flies, flying backward, a kind of caviar. None of us wanting to say what soul was. I'm totally entranced by the we. Can we start by talking about who Mackie's we is? That really resonated with me as well, and in part because we have the sense of a posse traveling together, a band, um, just all sorts of ways in which the ensemble, which is part of his musical references, is... And also his mode. and Right, yeah. Um, travels through this, but also the lines, I fell away, that are repeated three times there on the um, second page. Um, and it's not that, that he falls away from the we, but that the we is momentarily gone. Nice. I mean, this poem is interesting in, in in one way, in many ways, but one way is that, you know, it's a love poem. It has these mm -hmm. sections, and there, there's that we. And when I first saw the we, I was trying to say, is, that, is it the same we? Is it the we 
uh, of the lovers. And I th- don't think it probably is, but it's interesting how the lovers come in and out of it. So mm. that's what that's what I was thinking. Of. So let's talk about what the situation in this poem, what the we is experiencing. They seem to be, and this would be, I think, something you'd get the impression of if you read through all the poems, but they seem to have survived something. They seem to be happy that they're alive and have bodies. The first line of the poem really struck me, and as I thought about it, um, it's a statement of impatience. Mm. Um, It's what you say when um, somebody's taking too long to do something. Um, wow, I didn't read it that way. Interesting. So it's a it's a it's it's situational irony, and it's a it's a statement of impatience and impertinence. Um, and what sort of led me to that is we kept repeating tongues, throats, roofs of our mouths, bone dry. So so there's this uh, aridity that the statement is meant to engage. When you say while we're alive, the we in the poem are wanting to be satiated in some way. And so when you get to the to the sort of latter stages of the poem where they're actually there's actually the discussion of eating and, and taking in, the first part of the poem uh, I think is meant to, to um, foreshadow that. Mm. Yeah, it makes me think about the way the first part ends as well. Um, these wonderful lines, day after day of the dead, the same as day before day of the dead. And of course, it's not the same because the right. line breaks are different. Right. Um, the unexpectedness after having heard in the title and twice already day after day, by the time we get to day before day, it's not the same, but it's this kind of... Um, ongoingness that's there in the ellipses at several of the lines and with shadow, no touch, and the undead and lingeringness of death um, and and the notion of the floods and the brass can't help but evoke New Orleans um, and layers of, of disaster there. And I think it's just one of several figures of loss that runs through the, um, the poems from the beginning of these series in Eroding Witness 30 years ago. Um, well, you know, I, I can't help but but always read these Moo poems through the work he's doing in books like Bedouin Horn Book, mm-hmm. where in that book, the we is the Mystic Horn Society. And one of the ways that I sort of situate myself in the poems is just, is to just think about that, because the we in, in this poem and in other of the Moo poems, I always think of as... Mackie thinking about the the kind of collective thinking that one has to engage in if you're an ensemble of musicians. But the three iterations of I Fell Away, I I read that as also the individual initiative that one has to bring to an ensemble. Oh, I love that. You know, he's a very, very difficult poet to pin down. And, And in some ways, when you look at this poem, uh, there's a simplicity to it. There's a, there's a surface to the poem that that invites you to engage with it. One of the things that that really interests me are these stanza breaks where he he leaves the the one word to to link stanzas together. And so the the poem is also about to in in, in my view the the way that uh, a musician, particularly a, mu- a musician playing modal jazz. Uh, is able to spin out their ideas, but how do they link those ideas together into a sort of unified mm. whole? Something about the who, the we, it's humanity mm. as as much as uh, as a jazz, you know, mm-hmm. as as, sure. a, as a jazz group, uh, which I'm in this time looking at it 
Uh, it really is an epic poem, and it is, and it's working with this epic story and this epic story, uh, epic story of humanity. But something in this one, which I think we started with but moved away from, was there is something. This is more upbeat than that. Many. Thank of his God, poems. we're alive. We have bodies. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Exactly. The sun on the back of our necks. There is that, and you've said it that they that they are alive, that they do have bodies. So there's that on the one hand. But they're then, survivors. Uh, they're survivors, but on the other hand, there is this whole. They are survivors, but on the other hand, there is this, um, you know, this whole question about soul, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which runs out. And you know, Herman, you were talking about how the poem ends, but just I'm throughout. I'm really interested in just the movement of it. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's. Uh, you said before. It's hard to you know pin him down, and he does. He wants that. To, you know, mm-hmm. Obviously, he wants to be hard to pin down. Uh, but at the same moment, you know, you have these you have these refrains going through, and they keep changing. You know, the refrain, so it isn't like in a popular song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, you were saying that you thought about this as humanity um, as you were reading it this time, and it strikes me that um, there's a kind of virtuosity in their survivance in something like eating that's so common to all of us. It's a practice of the mouth, just like speaking is. Um, But that here, um, you know, chewing on our spoons becomes mouthing the blues. You don't need an instrument to do that. (laughs) Um, And there's a way in which, I mean, the spoons as a a percussion instrument in the blues is all about like making art from what you have when what you have is scarcity. We wore capes under which we were in sweaters out at the elbow. Arms on the table, we chewed our spoons. Mouthing the blues, moaned an abstract truth, kept eating. The dead's morning after buffet, someone said it was. Feast of the unfed, said someone else. What were we doing there, the exegete kept asking. Adamant, uninvited, morose. Elbows in the air like wings, we kept eating. Rolled our eyes, kept shoveling it in. Day after day of the dead, we were them. We ate inexhaustibly, ate what wasn't there, dead no longer dying of thirst, hung over, turned our noses up to what was. It was me, we were it, insensate. Sugared sweat, what what we drank tasted like. Even so, the tips of our tongues tasted nothing, we sipped without wincing. We ate cakes, we ate fingernail soup, a new kind of gazpacho, no one willing to say what soul was. Knuckle-bone souffle we ate. We ate gristle. Eyes we took from flies flying backward, a kind of caviar. None of us wanting to say what soul was. I can't help but think about the Middle Passage. Yeah. Um, and so um, so much of, of, of how the poem grounds bodily sensation can be read through uh, the 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 kind of um, deprivation, but also sort of day to day, minute to minute awareness of our bodies that that being in a situation like being crammed into the hold of a of a slave ship would produce. Um, 
So I, I read that no longer wanting to know what soul was. Yeah, I think that there were a couple resonances in those lines with earlier moments within this book, um, uh, Nod House, that uh, evoked the Middle Passage for me as well. And one of them was that this line um, in that last section, it um, it was me, we were it, insensate, sugared sweat, what mm-hmm. what we drank tasted like. Mm-hmm. That really, for me, recalled the opening of the first poem in the book, Sound and Somnolence, which is Moo 40th part, um, has this wonderful line, buried heads brought back to life, buried our heads in Erzuli's loin musk, imagined more than real. And that Erzuli is um, the Haitian um, loa um, or a deity of um, love that runs through uh, the Middle Passage as a kind of um, parallel figure to the Virgin, but also, I think, evokes the ways in which um, desire and love have been corrupted in the Middle Passage and and conflated with all sorts of unchosen and forced intimacies. So that resonated. And then there was another moment um, uh, in Song of the Andombulu 66, um, where again, an intimate scene is being evoked, but the evacuation of the senses and the possibility of satiety runs through it. Um, She said it felt like nothing, touch and say love though they did. Too bleak, we the chorusing horns admonished, stars spark lighting the bells we blew through. So this sense of feeling like nothing, which is its own feeling. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's an, an ongoing sensory experience, but of being present to that evacuation. Um, if we're happy in our bodies, we're thankful that we're bodies because we've survived something. Post-disaster relief, we're bodies, at least we're bodies. Why then would we not want to know what soul is? We've talked about this, but I wanna, mm-hmm. I wanna what's a basic psychological, emotional, survivor, post-trauma way of describing that? Well, you know, I think back to the Middle Passage, one of the things that I'm blanking on where I read this, but there's this real desire um, not to have your soul taken as you're in the midst of this long sort of transatlantic journey. Um, And so you actually try to forget Mm. what soul is so that it can't be taken from you. But I really grapple with that because in the second part of the poem where he says no one wanted to know what soul was, mm. just looking at the, the, the line breaks, he's got this homophonic thing happening with N-O and N-A-K-N-O-W that um, there's a kind of psychic doubling um, in, the, in the phrasing that um, you, have to, you have to sort of stop and think about. While we're alive, we kept repeating. Tongues, throats, roofs of our mouths, bone dry. Skeletons we'd someday be. Panicky masks we wore for effect, more than effect, more real than we'd admit. No longer wanting to know what soul was. Happy to see shadow, no touch. Happy to have sun at our backs, way led by shadow, Happy to have bodies block light. Afternoon sun lighting leaf, glint of glass, no matter what, 
about to be out of body, it seemed. Soon to be shadowless, we thought, said we thought, not to be off guard, caught out. Gray morning we meant to be done with, requiem so sweet we forgot what it lamented, teeth turning to sugar, we grinned. You know, you try to figure out what state this poem exists in, and you think it's some sort of, you know, people like to use the word surreal, because that means, you know, funny stuff can be can be in front of us, so you just say it's surreal. Um, uh, uh, Maggie at some point talks about altered, about altered states, you know, states that you achieve in, 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 in trances. And you think about, so going back, you know, and all his work with anthropology, and you think that, is this some sort of, is this some sort of altered state? And I looked up the word liminal, which I always just thought it meant between, you know, like it's liminal, maybe like something, yeah, it's liminal. But, you know, it's a technical word uh, in anthropology, and it's a word that does mean you've entered into the ritual, but you've not reached the state where you've moved into the next state. Mm. And you think about, but, you know, this is what I'm yes. moving all and back. the philosophical posse is on a journey of we, and quote from elsewhere in Nothouse, we were going nowhere. Cool. And the word Sisyphean and the phrase not to be known what we was. So there, there's liminality and journey both. Right. And God is this classical. Mm. It's very classical. <laughs> so that leads me to another category I want to get us on, which is musicality. Um, I'm going to risk a phrase that has such negative connotations historically, especially in the modern period. So here it goes. In some ways, these poems are pure poetry in the sense of sound and music. I mean, poetry at its most elevated is musical, the sound of words. To me, one of the reasons I chose this poem day after day of the dead, other than that we had that great performance of his reading, is that we have a narrative situation where we, the philosophical posse, are just happy that their tongues and throats and bodies and that that kind of uh, poetics of reprise, that modal jazz modeled poetry gets to work over these phrases with this parched tongues and so forth. And I keep talking myself into listening to it as music rather than anything else. Can we respond to that? Well, you know, I, at, the risk of, at the risk of maybe tipping this um, in another direction, <laughs> you know, day after day of the dead, I couldn't help but think about um, Eliot's The Wasteland. Mm. Um, and as you were talking, Al, I was I was thinking about the fact that that the the we in in this poem is very similar to the we running through um, the wasteland and 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 particularly um, proof rock. And I think about the patient etherized about... on the table. Um, there are some real riffs on 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 that running through here, I think. And and one of the things that interests me about Mackey is just his phrasing in general, because he has this technique of dropping um, dropping proper nouns uh, from his phrasing. So if you look at happy to happy to see shadow, no touch, happy to oh. have sun at our backs, he's always dropping um, these sort of proper proper um, nouns that will allow you to identify who it who it is. Mm -hmm. He really stays with that collective we, um, and and um, 
it's it's a really interesting technique because um, it allows him to make turns of phrases. So when you look at a phrase like um, dark wet the night before we saw lit, he's saying something really simple, but he turns it inside out. Um, and I'm always interested in, in, in how he's doing that because on some level, I think he's responding to uh, modernist formalism in ways that are meant to undercut it and, and upset it. With a difference. With a difference, and the difference yeah. is, and I'm going to say it, but Billy Joe clearly ahead, wants ahead. to do it too. I mean, Mackey is interested in the way in which a culture reacts to the opposition between word and noise. Mackey's interested in discrepant engagement, and he's interested in certain kinds of wholeness that are not available to us. So rather than lamenting the wasteland by featuring the way Eliot or Williams would in the high modernist period on the shard of glass, the glint of glass, he's much more interested in allowing the dissonance to take place and turning something positive, for lack of a better word, from that discrepancy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, we could call it postmodern mm -hmm. or post Eliot, post Williams. My favorite line, my favorite phrasing in this poem is Requiem so sweet we forgot what it lamented. The song that we sing out of the dissonant parts can be so pure. It can be jazz, it can be music, it can be heard, not meant, that we forgot the X that we're lamenting. We forgot the subject matter here that's anyway not said. So the Requiem can be so sweet that in a way we restore our wholeness by listening to the song and not focusing on the destruction and the gone and the dead. Um, I would like for each of us to say one quick thing about the musicality either thematically or poetically. And then I'd like to go around and get final words uh, just in general. So um, Tsitsi, say something quickly, please, about musicality, about jazz, about... The moo that I hear in uh, the title is also the moo in music and the ways that moo, me, me sounds travel through this poem were really striking to me. So even in the last lines um, of that first section, momentary, which the moment matters a lot, um, muttering, me, um, uh, mention, these echoed a lot. And the, the way in which motivic change in a jazz solo um, moves the the ideas forward here. I think the, the level of the phoneme operates as that motif. Excellent. And one of his favorite words is moment mm -hmm, all across his for writing. Sure. A moment's notice is one of his favorite phrases. Herm, quickly on musicality. Um, well, again, just the, the, the phrasing and uh, the manner in which the, the, the poem uh, moves down the page uh, in a way that um, is so much about uh, the sort of quick cutting quality of of uh, just a master uh, of the chord change, um, but I also but I also think about Monk and I and I think about um, uh, the manner in which for Monk the mistake uh, is where you find that ugly beauty, um, and he's very much. Uh, I think playing with that idea. And that's you are, of course, course referring the to Thelonious right, Monk. and that's the moment. Yes. Right. Fantastic. Billy Joe? Another thing about the music, uh, musicality is just simply the matter of scat, you know, the, uh, mm -hmm. jazz singing, yeah. this mm -hmm. sort of nonsense, nonsense mm -hmm. singing. And the other, th and going back to Moo for a moment, uh, Mackie says summer that Moo comes from Don Cherry's. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Don's, yes. I guess series of records. Yeah. And if you look mm -hmm. at Don Cherry, you have, you know, you have this very much uh, uh, 
fragmented sort of music with with a lot of a lot of beauty in it and mm-hmm. a lot of bells. So mm-hmm. like I I found that sort of literally mm-hmm. represented in the poem. And I'll just add on the point of musicality that phrases in Mackey's poems sometimes act like drones, and I mean that in the sense of jazz monophonic effect. That it's almost as if someone you know, bought Coltrane a soprano sax and he realized how he could get that non-Western sound to just drone away in the back. Uh, Mackey's CD, which is called Strick, features that kind of sound behind his voice. Okay, now what we're going to do is go around for final words from each of us. Just one last thing that we didn't get to say in this limited amount of time on this extraordinary poet, something that you want for the record. And Cece, you look like you're ready to do that. Sure. A couple of things that struck me. One, uh, there's a lot of synesthesia in this poem, and it runs through the whole book. But um, uh, in some ways, that's its own sense of intimacy and liveness and the, uh, the collapsing of senses that's the opposite in some ways of the insensateness. Um, uh, and the other thing I wanted to just note is... Um, that this feels very African in its intimacy with the dead, that the dead are not far away, they're right with us here, and that they're um, uh, uh, among us in a way that we could sit down to a meal with them. And so not so much as a kind of opposition, but as, as, as intimately present. Thank you. Herm? Um, there's a poem in Eroding Witness. Uh, it's really the poem by Mackie that made me sit bolt upright when I read that book 30 years ago. He's got a poem for Jimi Hendrix in Eroding Witness, and it's got this refrain, must be this hiss my guitar has been rehearsing. And um, when I read uh, Day After Day of the Dead, what I, what I think about is how he's learned how to build on sounds that we think have no meaning. Um, and he's, he's actually learned how to unpack those sounds, and, 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 and he discovers this whole world of spirituality um, and and engagement that that um, that we we might dismiss as noise, but again, he's he's sort of interested in that dichotomy between the word and and, and noise. And and one of the things about noise um, and information theory is that noise is information rich, and he's very much about finding that information. Mm, that's fantastic, Billy Joe. Final thought. Oh yeah, f- a final thought is I want to move to page f- fifty, and the line, dead, no longer dying of thirst. And I want to move to uh, Splay Anthem. And there is this, in in Splay Anthem, there's this incredible preface. And the more I think about this preface, it's it's really a work of, of, of genius where he figures out his project and he writes it down in seven or eight pages. So uh, the passage goes, could the dead are dying of thirst apply to the living dead wanting to awake, wanting more life, wanting more from life? And it, it seems to me that I want to take this poem back to, uh, to, to that this is a ritual he's involved with. He's moving from not, you know, from, from not being alive and wants to move the state of, of being totally, totally alive. Wow. My, uh, my final word relates to that. I think of Mackey among contemporary poets as 
the poet who writes about the state of survival or of being a survivor. And the, the, big, the big problem with a survivor is once you've survived something, you, your obligation is to bear witness and tell other people about it. And t typically, you need to use language. The uh, psychic response appropriately would be silence. The uh, kind of uh, easy emotional response would be to be very coherent in telling your story. Mackey is somewhere between that. I think he thinks that silence would be not, not commensurate with the experience or maybe even unethical. He's really interested in that discrepancy. And when trying to say something shadowy, spirit-filled, or ineffable, musical language for Mackey is a better alternative than silence. That is to say, language that doesn't tell a story, language that confuses people because it leaves out the references, as you were saying before, Herm and Billy Joe. Uh, earlier in this book, Nothouse, we hear these lines, the motion of tones having nothing to say. The motion of tones having nothing to say wind up saying a lot. And then earlier in the book as well, nothing we should say sufficed, overstood as opposed to understood. Overstood we wanted to say, but said nothing. And it seems to me that this is an amazing poetic alternative to silence in response to disaster. Well, we like to end Poem Talk with a minute or two of Gathering Paradise, a chance for several of us to spread wide our narrow hands to gather a little something really poetically good to hail or commend someone or something going on in the poetry world. And who wants to gather some paradise? Herman, you have something in mind? Um, yes. When I taught um, Mackie last semester, I taught him um, alongside Yusef Komenyaka's uh, testimony, um, which is... Uh, includes a CD of uh, an opera of which uh, Komenyaka's poems are the libretto um, dedicated to Charlie Parker. So I highly recommend that. Fantastic. Billy Joe? Um, by the time this program comes out, the selected poems of Amidi Baraka will be, will be out. Uh, the poems are called SOS Poems. Um, um, they are published by, no, they aren't. They're called SOS Poems. They're published by Grove Press, so he's returning to an early publisher. And uh, Barack has been this poet in a very unusual situation where he's famous, but a lot of his poetry has not been available. And this book has... Notwithstanding your extraordinary efforts <laughs> over time. Right. But this book ha has, it does the entire career, has a has a generous selection of recent work. And I'm just, uh, people have editorial problems with it, but I just think it's great for it to be out. Thank you so much, Sitsi. Great. Um, and the African Poetry Book Fund has just uh, concluded their third uh, first book uh, publication. And uh, there's a really exciting Ethiopian poet. Her last name is Tifru, um, who's going to be coming through. And this is the third young East African poet that uh, they're publishing in uh, a series of first books, um, Ladan Osman, uh, just out this year, and last year, Clifton Gachagua. So excited to hear new voices from that part of the world. And my Gathering Paradise follows perfectly from that. Um, I, I want to recommend something I uh, mentioned when I introduced you, the box set of chapbooks called Seven New Generation African Poets, and I believe the same fund made that possible. Um, because I wanted to read your book, I wound up, of course, buying the box set, and I read all of them, and they are I highly recommend them. 
Well, that's all the uh, Requiem So Sweet. We forgot what it lamented. We have time for Poem Talk today. Poem Talk at the Writer's House is a collaboration of the Center for Programs in Contemporary Writing and the Kelly Writer's House at the University of Pennsylvania and Poetry Foundation, poetryfoundation.org. Thanks so much to my guests, Herman Beavers, Cece Jaji, and Billy Joe Harris, and to our engineers, Zach Cardner and Tyler Burke, and to our editor, Amaris Kachansky. Next time on Poem Talk, Sarah Dowling coming east from Seattle and Max Crandall and Julia Block will join me for a discussion of Gertrude Stein's How She Bowed to Her Brother. In fact, she never bowed to her brother, so we'll be interested in talking about that. This is Al Filris, and I hope you'll join us again for that or another Poem Talk.